stand hilltops of glory land footsteps of Jesus before us lead he dread life's journey his warnings heed evil allurements cannot prevail I'm on the upward I now can see, come go with me, safe on the mountain I soon shall stand, hilltops of glory land. It's a new year, and with new years, we often do new things, right? We want to branch out and, and do something new. Oftentimes, as we do that, we start hearing new buzzwords. Buzzword, I guess, or buzz phrases. It's in itself new, but the idea that there's something new we're all going to do. One of those buzzwords that I've recently encountered is community. Now, community as a word itself is not a new word, but it's the idea of building community. In political science and, and, and sociology, some of the things I'm, I've been reading recently, uh, people are talking about building a community. And as I'm reading these things, I'm thinking, man, what this person is describing sure sounds like the church to me. If you think about community. Now, sometimes we think about community and we think about the community of Benbrook or the community of Parker County or the community of this place or, or, or that place. But the way political scientists and sociologists are, are using that phrase now is really building the idea of people that you really know. And they're comparing that to networking. A few years ago, everyone was talking about networking. People have been talking about networking for a while, I, I suspect. No, but networking is something different. They say networking is you go out and and you've got a guy that does this, and you're able to help other people find that person. You know, Ozzy's got a guy that does this over here, and so if you need that work done, you can go see Ozzy, and he'll hook you up with his guy, you know. And, and that's what we call networking. But you don't call somebody in your networking circle at 12 o'clock in the morning when you've got a flat tire. You call someone that you know. You call someone that you trust. You call someone that you depend on. And that's what people are talking about when they talk about community. Who are those people that you can really depend on? Who are those people that, that you learn from? Who are those people that you really cling to as being important in your life? That's community. And the reason that's a buzzword in certain circles in recent weeks is because more and more people seem to be looking for community, a place to belong, 
you think about our culture, we live miles and miles, many of us, away from our family of origin or people that are close to us and, and to replace that community. So I want us to think this morning about this idea of, of community. One of the examples that uh, I was reading about recently uh, is Bill Gore. Bill Gore is uh, the founder of Gore-Tex. And uh, apparently, I'd never really studied the history of Gore-Tex. But apparently, uh, Bill Gore-Tex uh, walked into a factory one day, and, and he said, I don't know who any of these people are. This factory is too big. And, and he determined that none of his factories would be, have more than 150 employees. Because once you start to have more than 150 people, you forget them. You don't really appreciate their contribution or their service. They said, none of my factories are going to be more than 150 people. And as I read that, I thought, huh, isn't that interesting? When I think about Churches of Christ especially, 150 is about pretty typical size. And you do know those people. And you can depend on those people. And there are some other things about this idea of network or community that I found interesting related to the church. So I want us to think about this idea. Is the biblical model of church one of a community? Or is it something else? I suggest that even though the word community rarely appears in the Bible, the New American Standard Bible, the idea of community, or there's a common thread between the ideas of what is a community and what the Bible teaches about the church. I want us to focus on that this morning. The community of God, the community of church with a, a common love. So I want us to think this morning about one of the characteristics of community. And that characteristic is a common issue or a binding issue that pulls people together. What is that for the church? And I suggest to you it's a common love for our Father, for God. I want us to think about how we interact within this community and what our message as a church is today. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please be turning to Ephesians chapter 2. And as you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, I want us to think about this idea of a common love or a common bond that we have, a common issue. These, these folks that are talking about building community, they say for a community to really be a community and to be successful, there is a common issue or a common bond that pulls those folks together. So that even when there's not a networking issue, those folks are still together. They still see themselves as being united in some way. Well, as the church, is there something that binds us together? And I believe that there is. And the thing that binds us together is our love of God and our relationship with God. And the first thought I want us to think about from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, is this idea that God reconciled us to himself. Notice this, beginning in chapter 2 and verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. 
who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. As we look at this, Paul says, look, Jews and Gentiles, that you were two different groups. You were completely different people. And really, when you think about the Gentiles, you could even expand it beyond that. But the thing that separated the Jews and the Gentiles was that Old Testament law that, that said you have to do these things to be a Jew and to be a part of the Jewish community uh, and to be right with God. And, and the Gentiles didn't know any of those things. And the Gentiles didn't even know about the promises and the covenants that God made with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob and with David and with Solomon. They didn't know any of those things. And so they had no hope. And yet the Gentiles were lost in their state because they were ignorant of those things. And in reality, Paul's arguing here in Ephesians that the Jews were lost because they weren't very good at following the law. And so we were separated from God. We had a broken relationship with God the Father. But God had a plan. And this plan was there before he even founded the world. But his plan was that through Jesus, we could be reconciled, we could be brought back into a right relationship with God through his work at the cross, by dying on the cross. And, and through his blood, we are healed. And so we're brought back into that relationship with God. But Paul says, not separately, but as one as one group. And so we have this love of God, God's love for us, but it also ought to be our love for God that we have for Him. And because of His work, we have access to God. Because of the work of Christ on the cross, we have access to God. Notice again, verse 17. Paul says, And He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access, our access, in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in him, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple to the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And so not only are we brought together, brought back into a right relationship with God because of Christ, but Paul says we have access to God in the Spirit through God or through Christ. Christ opened that way up so that we have that access to God. We're able to come to God and have that relationship with God because of Christ. But did you notice the language that he uses? You are the household of God. You are the temple of God. You are the building of God. The Spirit of God dwells in us as the church. When we think about a one issue or an issue that brings us together, it is our relationship with God, a common love that God has for us and that we ought to have for God. That's the thing that binds us together. 
and think about other communities that might exist in our lives and in our worlds. There are, there are different communities that we come in and out of. You might have been a part of scouting at one point. Uh, you might have been a part of uh, another community group at one point in your life. But, it, but at some point you leave that. But the body of Christ, as long as you're a healthy Christian, you never leave. As long as your focus is on God and Christianity, you are always a part of that community. And when we start talking about individual congregations, you may move physically from one place to another, but you become a part of that congregation. You become a part of that community. You might have noticed earlier in the sermon, I said in the New American Standard, the word community hardly ever is found in Scripture. It's found one time in the book of Job. In the NIV, it's used a lot. Because the NIV translates congregation with community, or uses the word community for congregation uh, in many of the Old Testament passages. So it's used in the NIV over 160 times. But you can see that relationship between congregation and community. We belong to a group of people that we care about, and we're all focused around this issue of God and what God has done for us and what the relationship is that we have with God. We are his household and his temple. And so that causes us individually to live a different life. Still in Ephesians, look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. And as we talk about a common issue that binds us together, notice what Paul says about the life that we ought to have beginning in verse 17, Ephesians chapter 4. So I say this, affirm and affirm together with the Lord. That you no longer, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the fertility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you would be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on a new, the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in the righteousness and holiness of truth. You see, as an individual Christian, as a part of this community, as a part of someone that has been reconciled uh, to God, I change my life. And, and I change the way I used to have lived. Now, I know if you grew up in a Christian family, that may not look a whole lot different. Right? If your parents took you to church every week and, and, and uh, you studied the Word of God in your home and, and you had a certain way of living uh, because your parents were Christians and that's how you were taught, that may not look all that stark of a difference once you actually become a Christian. For others, maybe it is a stark difference. But the change in life is, I choose now as I become a Christian to live for God. Did you notice what Paul says there again? In verse 24, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. 
My new life means that I'm trying to live like God. I'm trying for my life to look like God. I'm trying for my life to have that righteousness and that holiness and that truthfulness that God has. And that's the issue. That's the thing that binds us all together. That's the key ingredient of our community is our relationship with God and trying to live for God. We are trying to live for our God who saved us and who brought us back into a right relationship with Him. So think about what all this means in terms of the way that we interact with each other within this community. Beginning in verse 25, notice what Paul says. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. As we look at these four verses, what ought to strike us is that Paul talks about the substance of what we speak to one another. And the substance of what we ought to speak to one another within this community is the truth. Verse 25. Speak truth to one another. Sometimes the truth hits us hard, doesn't it? You ought not be doing that. Or this is what you ought to be doing. This is how you ought to live. And sometimes those are hard messages for us to hear, especially if we're doing something differently. It doesn't mean we always go around slapping each other verbally, so to speak, about the face, saying, you really, you really not to clean up your act, buddy. But we do have an open an honest relationship with each other. We ought to be able to speak directly with each other. And so Paul says, be angry, don't let the sin go down on your anger. If there's a conflict between uh, uh, two brethren, they ought to be able to clear that up. Because if you don't, it's just going to fester. It's going to create problems. And you might think, as sometimes I do as I look at this passage, verse 28 seems to be kind of out of line here. He's talking about speech and he's talking about stealing from one another. And I think the premise is the same. The premise is honesty. The premise is truth. And as we work and live within this community of faith, uh, we ought to not take advantage of one another by the things that we say. And we need to just work. We need to just work. And then Paul turns to the manner in which we speak with one another and interact in this community. Verse 29, he says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So I can speak truth to my brother, but I need to speak to it, speak to him in a way that is kind and tenderhearted. And forgiving. And I need to speak, did you notice that? In a way that edifies. He says, let no unwholesome speech come out of your mouth, but only that that is for the building up of those who hear. The building up. The building up of the community. The way that we speak to another, we ought to think about and be thoughtful in our speech in such a way that we build up those who hear what we're having to say. You can say things 
too directly at times, can't you? Have you ever experienced that? Uh, someone that you know speaks too bluntly, too, you know, and it ends up destroying a relationship. But Paul says, no, watch the way that you say things. And be forgiving, tenderhearted to one another. So he speaks about the substance of, of how we ought to interact, and he talks about the manner in, in which we ought to interact, and then he speaks about the things that we ought to avoid in our language. Notice again what he says, verse, chapter 5, verse 3. He says, but immorality or impurity or, greeting, or greed must not even be named among you as is, in, as is proper among the saints. And then notice this, verse 4. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather a giving of thanks. For this you know for, with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. No coarse jesting, no silly talk. He, he relates that to immorality. But how many times are we tempted as we're around our water cooler or with our buddies or, 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 or whatever, uh, and are we tempted to, to tell an off-color joke or, or, or say something that we think is funny that uh, really isn't? You know, those things are commonplace, especially in workplace settings. And Paul says, as a Christian, you should have put all of those things behind you. There's no place for any of those things. And so the world ought to be able to look at you as a Christian, as someone as this community of faith, and say, there's something different about this person based on the way he or she talks, based on the way he, and he or she conducts himself or herself. Paul says there ought to be a difference so that the world can see that. But the thing that binds us together is that common love that we have from God, being reconciled back to God, and also the relationship that we have with one another and that we have with God. I want to show just one last verse, and that's chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Folks, that's the common bond. We are the household of God. That's the closest community that we ought to have with anyone is the love that we have, God for us, us for God, and us for one another. Paul says, in the same way that God loved you and gave his life up for you, you ought to have that same love for other Christians. And that's the common issue that brings us together, the love between us and God and other Christians. And that's what brings us together. Think about our message then as a church today. Think about our, our message as a community of faith. The world is looking for a place to call home. The world is looking for community. That's why it's a buzzword, at least in some circles. We've got to build community. We've got to build community. Networking isn't good enough. Why isn't networking good enough? Because people are looking for a deeper relationship than do you have a guy that can uh, regrout my kitchen? Do you have a guy that... Uh, uh, fixes cars. You have a guy that can do this over here. That's networking, but that's not who you call when you're in an emergency. Who can you call when there's a crisis in life? 
your grout guy is not going to come and bring you gift cards and meals when someone in your family has heart surgery. Your community is going to do that. The community of faith is going to do that. And people are looking for that because they're missing that in their lives. What does this really boil down to? A place to belong. People are looking for a place where they feel they belong. And that ought to be the church. The church ought to be a place where everyone belongs. Everyone who wants to be reconciled with God. Everyone who loves God and wants to have a relationship with God. And that's our message. You find that here. And that's a message that we can take to people as people are hurting and looking for a place to belong. We have that message. God loves you so much. He was willing to send his son to die for you so that you can have life eternal with him live in his house. We are that family while we're all on earth. And that's our message. That's community. Maybe you're here this morning and you're looking for that relationship with God. You're looking to be reconciled to God and be restored to a right relationship with God. You can do that by being united with him through his death, burial, and bat, uh, uh, resurrection through baptism. Maybe you have other needs. And you want this church to be praying for you. And you need that encouragement. You need a place to belong. That place is here. If that's what you need, won't you come? Together we stand and sing. Jesus, I surrender all to him I freely give. I and trust him in his presence.